That's big time. Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Oh, did he belt that one? Intensity is not a perfume. It was a no-doubter. Five, four, three, two, one. We are up in the bird's nest here at Oreo Park at Camden Yards. I'm Brendan Mortensen alongside Matt Bonaparte. Bones started up a Volo Flag Football League last night. We don't have any Volo Softball updates as we usually brought you during the season. But started up a Volo Flag Football League last night. And the quarterback that we were playing, uh, keep in mind, this is a like an intermediate rec league. And this quarterback that we were playing was, first of all, built like Nick Bosa. I mean, this wow. was this was a large man a large playing fella. quarterback. I was playing safety yeah. last night. And You're like Ed Reed. Uh, uh, that's, many people have called me that. Nobody's called me that. Nobody's called me that. So I'm uh, covering a streak down the sideline. I'm probably about 50 yards downfield. Like, wow. this, is, this is a long route at this point. I'm ready. I'm prepared. This quarterback probably threw it about 20 yards further than that. Wow which by my math is him chucking it about 70 yards. Now, were you really 50 yards out? I, I, mean, I think I was pretty close to 40, could, 50 yards. Could put on a strong pro day. He overshot me. He overshot the receiver. I was at a minimum 40 yards back. Wow. Which begs the question of, A, what are you doing in a Volo flag Dominating, that's what. And I am in, like, the middle division. There isn't a b- division above me wow. for Volo flag football. I'd go to that one. I think we ran into a lot of the same thing in, in Volo softball. There was one guy in our league that could hit the ball, I don't know, about 400. Well, there was just one team that was acting like it was the World Series. It was their Which, World Series. Know, to each their own, but yeah. that wasn't how we were taking it. No, I, I'm, I'm pretty confident this guy threw a football at 70 yards. But he, the, the wide receiver no was bamboozled. He had no accuracy. He couldn't hit him. Yeah, that, well, that's true. And that's why he's not in the league. I, I guess so. I guess that's why he's playing intermediate recreational flag football here in the great city of Baltimore. We've got a lot of news to talk about. Over the last few weeks here on the Bird's Nest, we have not had a lot of specific news. And this week, they just decided to have all of the news. Yeah. So we got a lot of stuff to run through. We will start with the results, though, of our free agency showdown. If you listen to our episode from a week ago, you will remember that we had four categories of player that we thought the Orioles could potentially look at in free agency, being starting pitcher, relief pitcher, outfielder, and infielder, which was slightly general, but we kind of narrowed them down in our conversations. And we each presented our case for one player that we thought made sense in Baltimore. If you haven't listened to that episode, go back and give it a listen. But we're going to share the results right now of the voting. The the voting kind of went whichever Orioles fans thought was the better player pretty much won the vote, which is understandable given that the team just won 101 games. But in the starting pitcher category, I argued for Eduardo Rodriguez. You argued for Luis Severino. Eduardo Rodriguez received 79% of the vote. To take that home. Poor Luis. So that's one to nothing, They're Brendan. doubting there. him, all right? That's about as good as it would get for me in this voting here. To the relief <laughs> pitcher category, uh, much to my chagrin, Jordan Hicks with 70% of the vote takes down Robert Stevenson. Robert Stevenson was my guy, and uh, Jordan Hicks has more name value. That's what I'm chalking this vote up to. 
I think I, that, I think I gave a good case for Robert Stevenson. I'm, I'm confident that in the that. name value carried a lot of guys in this vote. Certainly, these votes. So, certainly. You know, in our Robert, outfielder, if you're watching, don't get down on yourself. No, no, Robert, head head held high. Uh, in our outfielder category, Jorge Soler received 66 percent of the vote, beating Jason Hayward. Which is funny because I wish I could have voted. I know for Jason that, that's what I, I. That was the only coin flip of our free agency showdown that I won, meaning that I got to select the first player that I wanted to argue for. And I selected Jason Hayward, who was the guy that you wanted to select, and Jason Hayward ends up losing the vote. Two very different fits in the Orioles' system right now. Jorge Soler would be more of a designated hitter who's not giving you a ton of defensive value in the outfield. Jason Hayward would be a platoon bat who gives you a really solid defensive right field. Two very different roles, and it seems like Orioles fans opted for the guy who could give you 35 home runs. Yes. Makes sense. But also, he's a righty, so yeah. he's got to hit to that left field, which I thought would play more of a, a role in this poll. I rhymed it. Uh, then it did. Did rhyme it. Look at you. This is what people tune into the bird's nest for. My rhymes. That, those solid rhymes. And then in our final category of the infielders, Whit Merrifield secures 56% of the vote. Close one. Taking down Kike Hernandez, which means that you, Matt Bonaparte, are the victor of the free agency showdown. Yeah. With three categories to one. I won. That's big for you. How's that feel? Doesn't feel great. I'm a genius. There you go. And again, as as per our rules that were stated on last week's episode, Michael Elias is now contractually obligated to sign all of these players. So, you know, welcome to Birdland, everybody who won this <laughs> vote. We did get kind of bodied on Twitter for that infielder category. So I do want to talk about it a little bit because Whit Merrifield and Kike Hernandez are not the higher end infielders on the free agency market at this point. Not that there are a ton to begin with. It's kind of Matt Chapman and then a whole mess of everybody else. It doesn't make a ton of sense for the Orioles to bring in a free agency infielder to begin with if they don't think it's going to be a relatively large upgrade over what they have in-house, or if they feel like it's somebody who can fill a very specific role for a shorter period of time until you're ready to hand the keys to Jackson Holiday, Joey Ortiz, Connor Norby, if Jordan Westberg is you know your second or third baseman, wherever he is playing. So Whit Merrifield and Kike Hernandez, I think we kind of had the same line of thinking of these guys are the options because they are solid veteran guys who, again, if you're ready to hand the keys off to Jackson Holiday, you're not going to have to commit a ton financially or years-wise to somebody like Merrifield or Kike Hernandez to the point where you would say, well, we can't bench them just because Jackson Holiday is here. We have a ton committed to them. That's why Merrifield and Hernandez were the options. Not that they're the best options available, but they might be the best fit. Yeah, I think it's pretty realistic to think that, well, maybe realistic isn't the right word, but it's plausible that this infield could be Jordan Westberg and Jackson Holiday in the middle infield to start the year. Yeah, that could be your um, opening day infield of so, Holiday, you know, Henderson, Westberg. The, the argument we made was not that they needed those guys, but if they were to sign an infielder, who would it be? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I know those two guys kind of fall under a similar... Adam Frazier category, there was some frustration from fans this year over, you know, the playing time that Adam Frazier was getting versus the playing time that Jordan Westberg was getting. 
I think Jordan Westberg has established himself as somebody who will probably play 100-plus games. He's a starting caliber player. This season, yeah. yeah, he's a starting Absolutely. caliber player. Whether he's starting at second or third and who is taking up those spots is still you know up for grabs. I think Jackson Holiday is going to take second base at some point. We don't know when, but at some point in 2024, that will probably be Jackson Holiday's everyday spot. So until then, the Orioles still have to figure out what to do in the infield, which is something that we'll get to later on when we talk about the non-tender deadline coming up on Friday. But wanted to defend that argument a little bit because we did get bodied on on Twitter for that opinion, and I don't think we should have. I like that you defended us. Thank you very much. That's what I'm here for. The Orioles did have two award winners this week as well. Very exciting fashion. Gunnar Henderson won the American League Rookie of the Year unanimously. Second place was Tanner Beebe, and third place was Tristan Casas. Calder Beebe? Yeah, isn't it? Yeah, I guess it is. I never said it out loud. You never I never said heard it out loud? anybody say it. You've never seen a game that he... I just, just I don't know. The, I don't think so. Anyway, go ahead. Anyway, uh, Cal Ripken Jr. announced the award, so I think there was probably an inkling that Gunnar Henderson was going to win this thing because it would have been a little awkward. Cal Ripken Jr. announced it, that and, been it and it wild. wasn't Gunnar Henderson. That would have been crazy. It would have been a little weird. He becomes the 13th unanimous AL Rookie of the Year in history, the 7th Rookie of the Year in Baltimore Orioles history. Not a ton to say about this that hasn't already been said. The award itself wasn't really up for debate. He struggled over the first two months of the year, got more aggressive, made some mechanical changes. You kind of know the story at this point with Gunnar Henderson, but... Look, I mean, a 6.2 baseball reference war that was ninth best in all of baseball, fifth best in the American League, the seventh best position player war in all of baseball. I wouldn't be surprised if Gunnar Henderson gets some MVP votes further down on the ballot. We could see him finish, you know, fifth, sixth in that race. I wouldn't be surprised, but it was a slam dunk rookie of the year. And it's really cool that the Orioles have two... I don't want to say, I mean, generational type of talents may be a, a big leap talking about Gunnar Henderson and, and Adley Rutschman, but I don't think it's outlandish to say. Yeah, and they hit on two prospects, right? Yeah. And they they hit on two prospects in the best way you could possibly do so in that both of them are already, like you said, they're hinting towards being generational talents and could be cornerstones of this franchise going forward. And, you know, you could draft guys high up in the draft all the time, whether it's one or in, in Gunner's uh, or in Gunner's um, situation, it was second round yeah. uh, in the 40s, early 40s. So he wasn't an incredibly high pick, but you don't always hit on those guys, even if they're number one, two, three, whatever. So the fact that they have in this fashion is so impressive and it's huge. And Gunner winning Rookie of the Year means that the Orioles get another first-round pick next year Yep, through the uh, incentive program that the MLB has. So that's huge. The Orioles, who are, over the last few years, pretty much easily the number one team in terms of how they draft, have two first-round picks. That's fantastic. They are going to have, more than likely, three picks above where they selected Gunnar Henderson in 2019. Yeah. Gunnar Henderson, as you mentioned, was selected 42nd overall in 2019 at the the very first pick of the second round. And you mentioned the prospect promotion incentive started last year. We saw it with the Seattle Mariners with Julio Rodriguez winning Rookie of the Year. The Mariners got 
another first-round pick at the end of the first round. And now the Orioles, again, who, as you mentioned, have been probably the best team in baseball at drafting, get a chance to draft another superstar type of player at the back end of the first round. We have seen the kind of success that they have after round one. They have selected guys like Gunnar Henderson, Jordan Westberg, Joey Ortiz was a fourth round pick. Kobe Mayo was a later round pick. The Orioles know how to draft. And so to give them another pick in the top 40 is pretty incredible. And it's going to be really exciting for the Orioles to continue to bolster the number one farm system in all of baseball as we see these guys continue to get promoted. This award is just reinforcing what we already know, which is that the Orioles know how to develop the heck out of players. They know how to draft, and they are going to continue to do it for years to come. I mean, next year, we could see Jackson Holiday potentially be a front runner for American League Rookie of the Year. Yeah. Don't know exactly when he's going to debut in 2024, but if it's early on in the season, then... I don't see any reason why he wouldn't be towards the top of the list in terms of odds to win Rookie of the Year next year. Yeah, and especially because of the reputation that the Orioles are putting together in terms of what they have in young talent and what they can do with it um, when they put it on the Major League stage because Adley and Gunner have shown now that the Orioles are for real uh, and they're not just some cool names to look forward to. These guys have the capability of dominating the sport at its highest level. So um, in the next couple of years, I wouldn't be surprised if Gunner's one of the best players across baseball, let alone rookies. Yeah, I mean, uh, He's fantastic. You can probably already make that argument. Yes. You, you can make an argument that he's one of the best shortstops oh, for sure. in the American League. Yes, easily. absolutely. Maybe one of the best shortstops in baseball. So Gunnar Henderson winning rookie of the year, really cool. Again, not a ton to break down because the award wasn't close. Can I give you a quick trivia? Unanimous to Gunnar Henderson. Sure. Who's the last unanimous AL Rookie of the Year? Unless you look it up. I, I feel like this is something I looked up a few days ago and then forgot. Okay, well, who is it? Was it Judge? Not Judge. Not Judge. I don't know. Tell me. Kyle Lewis in 2020. Wow. Last unanimous. Kyle Lewis. He beat out Lou Bob. Where is Kyle Lewis? He is, well, he spent the year at AAA Reno. With the Diamondbacks, where he hit 371 with a 1,098 OPS. Good for Kyle Lewis. Yeah, he had a great year in AAA. Anyway, moving on to more Orioles news. Brandon Hyde wins American League Manager of the Year. If you were on the train of that Jeff Passan tweet and thinking that that was going to be every single winner because there was a deleted tweet from Jeff Passan where he tweeted out the finalists for each award and... Some fans pointed out that those names were not in alphabetical order, so they thought they might be in order of how the votes went, and that order had Bruce Bochy winning AL Manager Let's of the be Year. Honest, we thought that, too. I was, I was, I was <laughs> no, a little suspicious. No, you thought that, absolutely. I was kind of suspicious. <laughs> but that tweet was dispelled earlier on in that announcement show when Craig Council did yes. not win National League Manager of the Year. And then everyone went, oh, yeah, of course, Brandon Hyde is going to win because he brought the Orioles to 101 wins in first place in the AL East. Especially because that award is regular season only. They have to cast those ballots before the first pitch of the playoffs. Right. A lot of upset Rangers fans that Bruce Bochy did not win American League Manager of the Year. That happens every year. Look, 
the Rangers, I, I'm not going to talk smack about the Rangers, the team that, you know, swept the Orioles in the American League Division Series, but this is, as you mentioned, a regular season award, and the Rangers, for as streaky as they were during the regular season, at times they looked like one of the best teams in baseball. They scuffled down the stretch. They had a chance to win the AOS. They didn't, and they brought in a bunch of guys on mega deals that were expected to bring this team to where they got to. And, and it's great. Bruce Bochy did a fantastic job. And if this award is counting playoffs, then maybe Bruce Bochy is the winner. But it is a regular season award. And Brandon Hyde brought the Orioles to 101 wins. The one seed won the AL East. They won 83 games last year. So it's another pretty drastic improvement for Hyde. And he receives 27 out of the 30 first place votes. Bochy got the other three one of which was from a Rangers reporter. Obviously, he's a Hall of Famer, but Hyde, very well deserving of this award. Yeah, honestly, I thought it would have been unanimous. Yeah, it was pretty close to it. It's hard to argue against him winning. Um, He was fantastic, and, you know, it's not often that a guy who goes through two 100-plus lost seasons sticks around for when the team is good. Um, so you really got to give it to him in that case because he stuck it out through two really tough years. And then last year uh, had the drastic improvement with 80-plus wins. This year, of course, the 101 wins. Uh, he's done an incredible job with the young talent that he's been given, and, and that's why they hired him. Yeah, They hired him because he went through a rebuild, developing young talent in Chicago, and won a World Series in 2016 with Joe Madden, who announced the award as his manager when he was the bench coach in Chicago. Comes here, and he's already started doing the same thing, developing young talent. Brandon Hyde uh, is fantastic at it, and there's really no way around that. So uh, he's absolutely deserving of this award. I'm very happy he won it. Yeah, and there was a legitimate argument to be made that he should have won the award last year, too. Yes, absolutely. Because the Orioles improved by 30-plus games from 2021 to 2022, and then this year they take another monumental leap. As you mentioned, Brandon Hyde, great in the clubhouse with a lot of these young guys. It's a team that is led by young stars in Abby Rutschman and Gunnar Henderson, you didn't have a ton of meaningful September baseball experience. And the Orioles had to deal with a devastating injury down the stretch in Felix Bautista that really threw your bullpen all out of whack. Yes. And he is still able to manage that team to not only a playoff berth, but clinching what many people said was the hardest division in baseball. Objectively, I, I think it, it is pretty much year yeah, in just and year out. Ridiculously difficult division. And you brought up a really good point as well, which is that a lot of managers don't get to see this thing all the way through. Yeah. And it is really a testament to not only the patience of Brandon Hyde, but GM of the year as well, yes. Mike Elias. That is unbelievable patience from Elias to be able to look at this team year in and year out. And for the first three, four years under Brandon Hyde go, you know what? This is the process. We're going to stick to it. There's going to be some bumps along the way, but we're going to develop in the farm system. We're going to build the international market back up. And we are going to get this team to a point where Brandon Hyde can manage them to 90 plus wins, a hundred plus wins. And to be able to have the foresight to see that through to the end 
is pretty unbelievable. Yeah. And as much as it is a testament to Brandon Hyde to be able to be so consistent with the players day in and day out to be able to, you know, keep the messaging, hey, you know, this thing is going to get better. This thing is going to improve. To have it from him, to have it from the front office, Brandon Hyde said it too, it, it's not an individual award for him. It is a testament to what this organization has been able to do since Michael Elias and Brandon Hyde got here. And, and it truly is because Brandon Hyde doesn't win this award if Michael Elias doesn't have the patience to say, you know what, we brought him in because we knew he was the guy and we're going to wait and find out what he can do with a really talented roster. And we saw it. We yeah. saw exactly what Brandon Hyde can do with a talented roster. Yeah, and they committed to the rebuild, and he was a part of it, and he and that was incredibly crucial because when you have a person with experience in developing young talent like he did in Chicago with Anthony Rizzo and Chris Bryant and that whole crew, you knew that you had a guy who could do the same with Adley, with Gunner, and every other player that's going to come up that still hasn't seen the big leagues. Right. Uh, so... It's a pretty special thing to have a team that has a GM that gave Brandon Hyde the ability to not worry about what was going to happen next and just focus on developing that young talent, having the talent actually come to fruition, which doesn't always happen, especially in baseball. Yeah. Very, very special situation in Baltimore. So the Orioles walk away with the executive of the year in Michael Elias, the manager of the year in Brandon Hyde, and the American League rookie of the year in Gunnar Henderson. They won't be bringing home... Cy Young or MVP, but, but I would imagine that Bradish will get some Cy Young votes. I would imagine that Gunnar Henderson will get some MVP votes. Wouldn't shock me if Adley Rutschman got like a sneaky MVP vote somewhere, somewhere towards the People back love of the, the top 10. People love catchers. It's hard to find a really good catcher. So even though the Orioles won't be bringing home those awards, be on the lookout for some guys that are potentially receiving votes, which would also be really, really cool. Even if they're not finishing in the top three, it is once again a testament to everything that this team was able to accomplish this year. Cool that the Orioles brought home some hardware. Of course, next year they'll be looking for some different hardware yes. in the playoffs. We still got a lot of news to get to, so let's start with some of the recent roster moves that the Orioles have made, or in this case, didn't make, because we have now passed the deadline for the Orioles to add players to their 40-man roster to protect them from the Rule 5 draft. If you're not too familiar with the Rule 5 draft, essentially what it boils down to is prospects that have been in the organization for a certain amount of time need to be added to the 40-man roster of your team by a set date in their tenure. And if they are not added to the 40-man roster at that point, then they become eligible for the Rule 5 draft, which is basically every team in baseball gets to select from that pool of players that was not added to their team's 40-man roster, and they must add them to their 40-man roster. So Rule 5 draft, a little bit complicated, but essentially the Orioles needed to protect some prospects from that draft. They needed to add them to their 40-man roster if they did not want to risk them being selected by another team. And the other team, if they pick them, has to have them on their active roster the entire year. Right, for the entire Can't season. Can't send them down unless there's an injury, everything. So it's not just that you could select somebody in the Rule 5 draft and say, hey, I want you in my organization. They have to be on your active roster 
for an entire big league season. Yes. So the Orioles are very familiar with the Rule 5 draft. They selected Tyler Wells a few years ago. That worked out really, really well. Anthony Santander is a former Rule 5 draft pick. So it can work, but oftentimes it's, you know, you see relievers getting picked and, yes. and things like that. The situation in which a guy like Santander would be picked is if your team is not geared toward winning a championship. If you were the season. Orioles at that point yeah. and you could take a and chance say, on okay, somebody like, with a high Let's upside. see what this guy's got. And it worked out in that case. But right. in a lot of situations, you'll leave a guy because you're confident that somebody's, despite a, on his potential upside, you'll leave a guy out there because the team's probably not going to ch- take a chance on him on their MLB roster the following season. Yeah. So leading into this deadline, I thought the Orioles would add one prospect. They didn't end up adding anybody. And this only impacts one prospect in the Orioles' top 30, being Hudson Haskin. Yes. Uh, according to MLB Pipeline, he is the O's 17th ranked prospect. He's a former second round pick out of Tulane in 2020. If you have seen Hudson Haskin before, he's got kind of an unconventional funky swing a little bit, but he's a good speedy outfielder, has shown some power potential as well. Had an 832 OPS in just over 20 games for AAA this season, but he only appeared in 33 games as a whole. He was dealing with some injuries. So... Wouldn't surprise me if the Orioles have, you know, have the thinking that they can just kind of sneak Hudson Haskin through here without having to add him to the 40-man roster because you didn't see a ton from him in 2023 due to the injuries. So, you know, maybe they just think that another team's not going to select him and he'll be able to stay in the organization. I'd be pretty surprised if another team selected him. Yeah. Um, Like you said, he had a good season, 820 OPS before the hip surgery that ended his season. Right. Um, but, you know, this is a guy who's still a little bit away from being an MLB player. Not a ton of Norfolk experience exactly. at this point. I would be pretty surprised if a team said, yep, we're, we're putting that guy in the outfield that year. Yeah. So um, a little bit of a gamble from Elias and the rest of the front office, sure. But you're probably not going to lose this guy. No, and you don't want to lose a pretty recent second-round draft pick. But at the same time, you look at the outfield prospects that the Orioles currently have, and Hudson Haskin has a very uphill battle with trying to compete with Colton Kowser, Heston Kerstad, Connor Norby has played a corner outfield spot. And then down the line, you've got Dylan Beavers, Enrique Bradfield Jr., Mac Horvath, Judd Fabian. So if Hudson Haskin was going to get on this 40-man roster at any point, if he was going to get some major league action somewhere... He's going to have to outplay a lot of really top prospects in this organization. That's a really hard thing to do. So, you know, losing Haskin to the Rule 5 draft, again, he's a second-round draft pick in the 2020 class. You don't want to lose somebody that you spent that kind of draft capital on. But to this point, he hasn't established himself as the kind of prospect of, you know, Kowser, Kerstad, Norby, who are all ahead of him on the pecking order right now. Yeah, so... Again, the only thing there is you don't want to lose him, especially because you don't want to leave any meat on the bone in terms of what you could potentially do. Yeah, he's a talented player. Yeah. Um, But, again, I don't really see him going anywhere. Another notable name that was left unprotected as well is Ryan Watson. He won the O's Minor League Pitcher of the Year Award in 2022. He had a 365 ERA in Norfolk. 
and he was bouncing between the starting rotation and the bullpen. And, you know, I probably like, you know, many O's fans who follow closely along with prospects, we're looking at Watson saying, okay, don't know if he's going to be a starter down the line. Don't really know if he's got that kind of upside, but could certainly eat some innings for you in 2023 coming out of the bullpen. And then the 2023 season just didn't go as planned in yes. AAA Norfolk. The ERA ballooned to close to six in his age 25 season. So again, would, would be surprised if Ryan Watson gets selected in the Rule 5 draft. I could see it from a see, team that just needs innings somewhere. Yeah, I was going to say like a Royals or something, just a team that needs a back-end reliever yeah. uh, and a guy who just... They think, okay, we'll take a chance on this guy because we've seen that he has some kind of potential. Won the Jim Palmer Award, like you said. Yeah. Uh, and despite a rough season in 2023, maybe he can contribute down the line. If we're not planning on winning this season, why not take a chance on him and see what he has? Yeah. So I could see that. But there are plenty of talented players that don't go either drafted around baseball or claimed around baseball. Yes. We just saw it as the Orioles options Tucker Davidson and Taron Vavra to AAA Norfolk. They are off the 40-man roster. Taron Vavra is a player that I thought could have been claimed around the league, but that's why Mike Elias and the Orioles front office have a, a pulse of what's going on around baseball. And, you know, sometimes we look at players and say, well, maybe they'll be claimed, maybe they'll be drafted. And I think the Orioles have a pretty good idea of, of what those moves look like. So Davidson and Vavra, some more roster moves there. And then looking ahead, we've got an important deadline coming up on Friday. Friday is the deadline for tendering contracts to players. And trying to explain it as best I can here, the baseball offseason is a little bit complicated. So non-tendering a player means that a team is declining to give them a contract for the 2024 season. And in the case of this non-tender deadline, you are essentially deciding whether or not you want to go through with the arbitration process with a player. So a player that has been in the big leagues for a few years can become eligible for arbitration, which means essentially every offseason they get a little bit of a raise based on what they were making before, based on their play. If they play well, they'll get a raise. Prime example here being being Anthony Santander, who is entering his final year of arbitration and was making around, I think, $7.5 million during the 2023 season. And MLB Trade Rumors projects that through arbitration, he will get a raise to $12.5 million in 2024. So if you are non-tendering a player, then you are declining to give them a contract for 2024. You are declining to go through that arbitration process. However... Before Friday, you can also just agree to contracts with that player. We have seen that around the league where you can just agree to a contract without having to go through the arbitration process. Was that yeah, and you don't want too to inside through, baseball? You don't want to go through the arbitration process. It's a weird the process. The arbitration process almost always leads to um, a bit of a tough relationship with the player going forward because you have to go into a courtroom and argue about how good the player is. It's a weird situation. And you have to say, well, you only had this, and you weren't doing that very well, and that's why we only think you're worth this. And the player doesn't want to hear that. Yeah. So um, it, arbitration is tough, and you, teams will do whatever they can to avoid it. Yeah, it's, it's a strange process. It's essentially the team going, we would like to pay you this amount, and the player going, I would like this amount. We have seen, we have seen and we have heard some 
not great stuff come out of arbitration around the league. I remember last year, Corbin Burns and the Brewers. I mean, Corbin Burns was pretty vocal about the fact that in his arbitration hearing, the Brewers basically like blamed him for not making the playoffs. So uh, if you can avoid arbitration, great. But it also doesn't have to go that way. Yes. There are, for as many examples of hearing about the fact that it's a weird process, we don't hear about all the times where it's just fine. Yes. So more often than not, it's it's just fine. So this is not a, a bad thing for the Orioles to be doing. They do have 16 players that are eligible for arbitration this season. And there are some obvious guys off the top that are not going to be non-tendered. So we'll just get rid of them right away. Anthony Santander is going to get a pretty sizable boost in salary according to the MLB trade rumors projection. That is not an exact science, but... The MLB trade rumors numbers have been pretty close in the past. So just going off of that, Santander will get a big raise. He's not going anywhere. He's, it's true. He will not get non-tendered. Austin Hayes, John Means, Tyler Wells, Danny Coulomb, Ryan O'Hearn, Cedric Mullins, Ryan Mountcastle, CNL Perez. I feel comfortable about all those guys returning. None of those guys are getting non-tendered. Yeah. Can, can put that out right now. There's also a probable bubble for me of guys that I do think uh, will be tendered contracts for 2024. Dylan Tate is on that probables for me. I know Dylan Tate missed the 2023 season with injury, but let's not forget about how good Dylan Tate has been in his career in Baltimore. 305 he is ERA. Very well-established reliever. I think Dylan Tate is not going to be non-tendered. Cole Irvin, I know he had a tough 2023 season, but I would be surprised if Cole Irvin is non-tendered. I don't think the Orioles are going to give up on that deal from a year ago. This is still, you know, it, he's still on the bubble a little bit, but this is my more probable than not bubble. So Cole Irvin goes there. Same deal with Ramona Rios. Ramona Rios is on my probable bubble. Down season in 2023 compared to what we saw from him in 2022. But this is a gold glove winner. This is somebody who, you know, has pretty good splits against right-handed pitching, which is kind of valuable as a right-handed hitter. So Ramona Rios, I don't think will be non-tendered, but we're going to have the Jorge Mateo conversation in a little bit. Rios just has to compete with how the Orioles view their other infielders that are very close to the big leagues. How do they feel about Jordan Westberg, who is already here, about Joey Ortiz, about Connor Norby? About Jackson Holiday. Yeah. Wherever Ramon Rios fits in that group will determine if he gets tendered a contract. I agree. I think that it's pretty much a battle between him and those guys to fill that role, which is you'll play probably half the games this year, and you'll play a lot of third base, and you'll have to be a bit of a utility infielder and whatnot, and it's dependent on whether or not they view him as better or more valuable than those guys because they also would have to pay him more than they pay those guys. Right. And it's the same conversation about my bubble bubble that we lead off with, with Jorge Mateo. He had a defined role last year, especially towards the latter half of the season when the bat tailed off a little bit. He is a great defensive replacement and he is a great pinch runner. Had a great playoff. Yeah. And it was great in the playoffs at the plate as well. Do the Orioles see Mateo as somebody who will get consistent playing time over 
the likes of Jordan Westberg, Ramona Rios, Joey Ortiz, Connor Norby, and Jackson Holiday? That is the question when you have to decide whether or not to tender Jorge Mateo a contract for 2024. It's possible that they do and then look to move him at some point this offseason. But, again, it's how do the Orioles view this infield group right now? Yeah, it's tough. Um, and I'm not... Yeah, I mean, it all comes down to what they plan on doing with the guys who are on the, the verge of making it to the majors. Yeah. If they decide that those guys are ready to go and those guys are pretty much as valuable as a bad and, and defensive replacement and whatnot as Jorge, then it becomes a more difficult battle for Mateo. But, um, you know, he still did add value this season. Oh, absolutely. In plenty of spots, but... I I don't know. I mean, it's totally dependent on... It's a very similar conversation to Ramon Urias. Right. All of these guys on the bubble, it's not that they're bad players by any stretch. It's just what is their role going to look like yeah. on the 2024 Orioles, and do they just... Do they have one? Same goes for a couple of bullpen arms here. Keegan Aiken, I think, is on the bubble. It's going to be a slight raise, but it just didn't have that great of a season in 2023 had a good role in 2022. Keegan Aiken was your long man out of the bullpen. He gave you a really solid ERA. What does his role look like in 2024? Same thing with Jacob Webb, who is on the bubble. Now, I felt better about Jacob Webb than I think you did. Yeah, I think Jacob Webb is probably... I think he's closer to being tendered a contract. I agree. Uh, Jacob Webb had a role in 2023, which gives like him an advantage over Keegan Aiken. Yeah, he was, what, named every day, every day Jacob Webb, Webb yeah. by Ben McDonald. 398 ERA in the regular season. Tough showing in the playoffs, as we talked about. What does Jacob Webb's role look like in 2024? Does he have one? I think so. I, I think I Jacob think it's Webb possible. does have a bullpen role in 2024 because he was a guy that a lot of times when the playoffs, I know a lot of fans weren't happy with him in the playoffs because he gave up a couple homers, but... Um, I still think he's a pretty valuable arm to have. A guy who's going to eat a lot of innings yeah. out of the pen and, and pretty effective. Uh, so I like Jacob Webb. Jacob Webb, we will certainly see where he falls in the group. Again, it's the groups that these guys have to compete with. Jacob Webb falls in the group for me of Webb, Mike Bauman, Brian Baker. Yes. Where does he fall for the Orioles among those right-handed relievers? Is he the best one out of that group? Then he probably gets tendered a contract. Is he maybe second behind Mike Bauman or third behind Brian Baker? Who knows? So however he gets valued there will determine what ends up happening on Friday. And the final player is Ryan McKenna, who is an interesting case here because he's kind of similar to Mateo where the role was pretty defined in 2023, but he bounced up and down between Norfolk and the Orioles more than Mateo did. Mateo didn't get optioned at all. So McKenna, we have heard, you know, praise upon praise about what he is like in this clubhouse, the flexibility that he has been able to have for Brandon Hyde, where whenever he gets called up, he is ready to go. He can be a good defensive replacement in any outfield spot. The bat isn't, outstanding but the bat is certainly serviceable where is Ryan McKenna going to get playing time next year in the again outfield gauntlet of Cedric Mullins Austin Hayes Anthony Santander Colton Kowser, Heston Kerstad and potentially Connor Norby in that conversation as well 
I think Ryan McKenna is probably ahead of Connor Norby in the pecking order, but has Eston Kerstad leaped over McKenna? Has Colton Kowser leaped over McKenna? That's going to determine whether or not he gets non-tendered. Yeah, and I think when you have a lot of those options, it's you just tend to look towards the younger guy with the high potential because those guys also have, you know, Ryan McKenna was a solid role player for the Orioles this season, hit a walk-off homer. But you've got a guy in Heston Kerstad who is a fantastic hitter. Yeah. I mean, there's no way around that. Um, and he plays a solid outfield. So, And he's also cheaper. So it's tough to... to to pick against him in that situation. But McKenna does have his pluses. And like you said, we've heard how players and coaches and everybody has raved about him in terms of what he's like in the clubhouse. Yeah. And I think that plays a huge role as well. Vibes so, guy. Yeah, he's a vibes guy and everybody needs one. Yep. Um, so there, there's that too. But um, I don't know. I think his role is, is getting a little bit more blurry. And again, none of these guys in the bubble are bad players. It wouldn't surprise me at all if Jorge Mateo... If he ends up getting non-tendered and becomes a free agent, Jorge Mateo could be a, sort, a starting shortstop somewhere next year. Yeah, Ryan McKenna could be a fourth outfielder for somebody you know, pretty quickly. So if these guys do end up becoming free agents, it's not because they're not good players. It's just because the Orioles have a big grouping of a lot of talented players in roles that these guys filled over the past few seasons. Sure. I uh, I mean, yeah, they have they played their roles pretty well. Yeah. Uh, and especially this season, they played well in their roles. But next year brings a whole new era of players, probably. And I think that the rebuild in Baltimore will probably continue. So if a player is non-tendered at that point, they do become a free agent. That doesn't inhibit the Orioles from going, hey, come on back. Like True. I, I mean, yeah. one of these players could get non-tendered and the Orioles could sign them to a minor league contract the next day. Yes, you know, absolutely. It, it's... Not a, you know, you are never going to be in the organization again kind of thing. But keep an eye out for the non-tender deadline on Friday if the Orioles will tender these guys' contracts or not. Good bit of bubble players here, but all solid players that certainly have a case to carve out a role on the Orioles in 2024. Whew. It's a lot of Orioles news we just ran through. Yeah. Exciting. How you feeling? I love the offseason. I'm pumped. And if the Orioles just next time could space out the news a little <laughs> bit more so that we could talk about news from show to show, that would be great. But for this show, we just ran through a lot of Orioles news. Hope you were able to digest it with us a little bit. We are not going to be back next week. Going to take a week off for the holidays. Hope that you have a lovely holiday season. We got a high on Facebook from Matt, who says it's the biggest O's fan in New Zealand. Hi, Matt. Thank Thanks you, for following man. along on Facebook you and YouTube. Great name. great name. You can follow along every Wednesday, most Wednesdays, except for next week, live at 11 a.m. on Facebook and YouTube. Or if you miss us live, you can catch us after the fact anywhere you get your podcasts or digital shows on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Anywhere you get your sports podcasts and digital shows, you can find me and Matt Bonaparte here on the Bird's Nest. Big thank you to Amy Jennings behind the scenes. For Matt, I'm Brendan Mortensen. We'll catch you next time.